Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Today, we bask in the light of mustachioed greatness. Hi, this is Daniel Segura, host of the Mustachioed Podcastio. You like mustaches? You like movies? You like sexy chicanos? Well, the Podcastio is the place for you. We are talking legendary mustaches from Charles Bronson to the Great Bird Reynolds to the OG Ice-T. Find the Mustachioed Podcastio anywhere you listen to podcasts. That is M-O-U-S-T-A-S-H-I-O-D Podcastio. Hey, what's, what's up, up you guys? guys? I'm Catherine. And I'm Haley. We are Saturdays for the Ghouls, a Podmoth podcast. How you doing, Haley? Fine. How are you? Cool. That's are you scared? Right? Are you scared? Am I scared yeah. because of the topic today or am I scared? <laughs> Why would I be scared? You should be. I'm just kidding. You're watching you for one episode and... <laughs> Now you're like trying to stalk me. It's crazy. I know you won't stalk me because planes. There's other ways than planes. Anyway, I love spooky babes. It's true crime week. Are you excited? Yes. You fucking better be. Can I ask you, are you excited for the true crime, Catherine? No. <laughs> no, I didn't think so. <laughs> okay, so the story of this true crime, and I think we've talked about it before, is that one time I researched this true crime to do for the podcast. Then I was like, no, it makes me too uncomfy. But then we reached our 100th episode and I was like, you know what? We've been doing this for 100 episodes. 101 would be a great one to do one that I'm super scared of because what's this podcast about? Scary shit. But then I decided to do what true crime 101, which was way more fun to talk about than this. So here we are. But the week that we did True Crime 101, I had all of these notes already written out, already done. And I will be fucking damned if I do not use these notes in an episode. I was going to say. not waste my time writing out all these things, these terrible, awful things, <laughs> for me to not be able to use it for a podcast episode. Exactly. There you go. That's what this is. I also... I don't want anyone to think that I did this in accordance with the release of a certain movie that has come out. This has nothing to do with the Barbie movie. Just let's be completely clear. Nothing to do. I also didn't even know the Barbie movie was coming out when I researched this. At that point, that wasn't what was going through my head. This is not because the Barbie movie's out. I just want to let everyone know this has nothing to do with the Barbie movie. But... Then I, I realized this weekend while I was thinking about it that this episode might be confused with Barbie promotion. So, that being said, do you have anything to tell Spooky Bits before we want to jump right in? Just so that it doesn't seem like we're completely shitting on this movie. I have seen it. The Barbie claps for Haley. It's a good movie. If you want to see it, you should see it. And don't let the fact that I'm shitting on it any like indication on whether you should go see it maybe it's a good movie we did dress up but it wasn't in cute little like barbie outfits we dressed up as goth punk but anyway 
anything else to tell the spooky bitch before we move on? I'm sure Catherine will put a trigger warning at the beginning or somewhere in here, but this episode is not a lighthearted one. So if you can't, if you're not in the mental state for the certain triggers that have been listed, please skip this one. Me and Catherine barely have the mental state for this <laughs> one. This is probably, if I had a therapist, they would probably recommend I didn't do this one. Just to get the trigger warnings out there in verbalization, in case you guys didn't read the, the little description. That's the word. That's description. So sexual assault and rape is definitely a big trigger for this one. So just be like very cautious with your head space. Like that's, that's all I'm going to say. Are we ready to go? If you guys can't tell, we're very, especially Catherine, she's very uncomfortable that she has to even talk about this. But I think certain things should be talked about and brought awareness to. We're just like treading water. Then it's procrastinating. We're just going to jump right in. Um, so nervous that you guys are going to be like the spooky biz. I know the spooky biz always are going to have our backs, right? But I'm nervous that they're going to be like, Catherine, why are you being such a bitch? You've talked about way worse stuff. And I don't know why this case is so triggering to me compared to other cases that we've talked about. We're going to talk about Paul Bernardo. He was born August 27, 1964. He was the child of Kenneth Walter Bernardo and Marilyn Elizabeth Bernardo. Kenneth, Paul's dad, Kenneth, often sexually assaulted his older sister, Deborah, in front of their family members. And his dad was charged with a lot of crimes that were involving, like, pedophilia and voyeurism and all of that kind of stuff later in Paul's life. His mother was really withdrawn from the family because of depression, and she had a really bad agoraphobia, which meant she didn't like to leave the house. But Paul presented himself while he was growing up as a very happy, well-adjusted child, Later in his teens, he did have inclinations with setting things on fire. And he supposedly had really dark sexual fantasies, which involved creating a virgin farm where he would breed virgin girls. 1981, Paul was 16 years old. He had a fight. His parents were fighting. And during that fight, his dad told him that he was not his biological father and that his mom cheated on him, and that's where Paul came from. His mom called Paul a bastard from hell. And so this was definitely not a very happy, healthy family to grow up in, for sure. Nope. Definitely not the Brady Bunch. Later, his first girlfriend left him for one of his best friends because of Paul's, quote, domineering behavior. And because he got upset that she left him, he set fire to all of her belongings that he had. Yeah. Only normal response. For sure. Kyle uh, attended Sir Wilfrid Laurel Collegiate Institute and the University of Toronto in Scarborough. His day job was that he worked for Amway. Him and his college friends would practice pickup techniques at the bars together, which is very normal for a college guy. Like they yeah. try to go out and pick up chicks and they were often really successful, but then Paul would often really humiliate his dates in public and he would like make them engage in like really aggressive intercourse 
or mm-hmm. like anal intercourse. And so he was not like, she was not the one you wanted to go home for the bar with. I don't know if maybe his other friends were already more well adjusted, but he definitely wasn't the one. He threatened to kill girls if they disclosed any of the abuse that he put on them. 86, Paul was served by restraining orders from two women, which Damn. is a big red flag. I don't know how there was not any sort of law. This one guy has now received restraining orders from two different women with the same thing. Does that, I don't know. Does that not, is that not cause for something? I don't know. They are in Canada. I don't know what Canada's like law enforcement, but anyway. In October of 1987, Paul met Carla Homo, quote, while they were visiting Scarborough and attended a pet store conference. Because Carla worked at a pet store. They were immediately attracted to each other and they began dating. Between 1987 and 1990, in Scarborough, there was a serial rapist running around rampant. Now, let's see. He's in Scarborough in the University of Toronto. What are you insinuating, young lady? Oh, no. Mm. Let's find out, I'm assuming. Most women were stalked and attacked when getting off the bus late at night. So the first attack was on May 4th, 1987, and it was a 21-year-old who was in front of her parents' house, and the Scarborough rapist raped her. On May 14th, 10 days later, they raped a 19-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. On July 17th, there was an attempted rape of a young woman, but the... Scarborough rapist abandoned the attack when she fought back. On September 29th, 1987, he attempted to rape a 15-year-old girl. The rapist broke into her house and entered her bedroom. Her mother entered the room, screamed, and he ran. At this time, in 1989, Anthony Hain... I'm going to say his last name. Hain was wrongfully convicted of being the Scarborough rapist. In in December 16th, 1987, there was another 15-year-old girl who was raped. And the next day, the police issued a warning for women who were traveling alone in Scarborough at night, especially riding the buses that this guy often was taking his victims from. On December 23rd, he raped a 17-year-old girl with a knife that he used to threaten his victims. At this point, he began being known as the Scarborough Rapist. On April 18, 1988, there was an attack of a 17-year-old schoolgirl. On May 25, 1988, someone was almost caught because someone was promoted to be stalking the bus depot. But the police didn't arrive in time, and he ran away and got away. On May 30th of 1988, there was a rape of an 18-year-old woman in Missouga, Ontario. On October 4th of 1988, there was a rape in Scarborough, and the victim stabbed the man twice before he was able to run off. That sounds like blood. On November 16th, 1988, there was a rape of an 18-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. On November 17th, 1988, the next day, the police formed a a task force to capture the Scarborough rapist. Now, if you have noticed the years that have gone by, it took almost a year and almost 10 victims for them to put together a task force to start capturing the Scarborough rapist. Almost a year and almost 10 
victims for them to put together a task force. On December 27th, 1988, there was an attempted rape, but a neighbor chased off them. He chased off the Scarborough rapist. On June 20th, 1989, there was an attempted rape and the young woman fought and her screams alerted neighbors and the rapist fled with scratches on his face. On August 15th, 1989, there was a rape of a 22-year-old woman. On November 21st, there was a rape of a 15-year-old girl. On that same day, Paul Bernardo was seen at the belt shelter. On December 22nd, 1989, there was a rape of a 19-year-old woman. On May 26th, 1990, there was a rape of a 19-year-old woman. The woman vividly recalled her attacker and was able to provide the police a composite portrait, which was later released by the police, but publicized in Toronto to the surrounding areas. Good job. Thank you very much for your service. You are we love you. In June of 1990, the police received a tip about Paul Bernardo potentially being the Scarborough rapist by a bank employee. I don't know how that bank employee might know that. Hina Sermini's, which I think is how it's pronounced, also submitted a tip about Paul as well. And she was the wife of one of Paul's college buddies that used to hang out with him back in the good old days of college. From May to September of 1990, there were 130 suspects, and they were collecting DNA from all of them for who potentially could have been the Scarborough rapist. On November 20th, 1990, Paul was brought into the police station and interviewed by the Toronto police for 35 minutes. He provided them a DNA sample, and they asked, do you know why we're even questioning you? And he said... I look a lot like that Scarborough rapist guy. I admit it. I've seen the picture. I look a lot like him. And the detectives concluded, this is a quote from an article, the detectives concluded that such a well-educated, adjusted, congenial young man could not be responsible for such vicious crimes after speaking to him for 35 minutes and collecting his DNA. Paul Bernardo was released the following day and he drove to St. Catharines to meet with his girlfriend, Carla. He promised her, I am not the Scarborough rapist. I don't know who that guy is. I know he looks a lot like me. On February 1st, 1991, he moved to St. Catharines in Canada. And after he moved in February of 1991, the assaults in Scarborough stopped. And then in April of 1991, there was another victim who was 14, but this attack occurred early in the morning and not near a bus stop, though. But I'm assuming he could have come back, maybe? I don't know. There was after he moved, but still in Scarborough. Yeah. Okay. Paul Bernardo and Carlo were engaged to be married. They spent a large amount of time with Carla's family and with her parents and her sisters. Carla's parents liked him. They had no awareness of his past criminal history. And Paul was very strangely obsessed with one of the Homolka's daughters, Tammy, Carla's younger sister. Not Carla, but Tammy. Not your actual um, girlfriend. Yeah. Beyonce. Um, he would peep into her window at night and 
do things to himself while she was sleeping as he was watching. And Carla Homolka used to break the blinds open so that he could see in to her room from outside. Before their wedding on December 23rd, 1990, Paul was at the Homolka's residence. They were all together. Everyone had gone to bed except for Carla, Tammy, and Paul. Paula gave her sister some sleeping pills, and when she was unconscious, Paula pressed a halo thing soaked cloth over her face. Paula was really upset that Carla wasn't a virgin when they met, so Carla said for Christmas she wanted to give him Tammy's virginity. So while their parents slept upstairs, Paul sexually assaulted Tammy while Carla and Paul filmed themselves doing said acts on her sister, his sister-in-law almost. Before they were able to complete their acts, Tammy started vomiting, and they tried to revive her and stuff. And before 911, they obviously put everything back and hid all the evidence of what they were doing. And... Because I think they waited so long, Tammy was never able to be resuscitated, and she passed away that night. Because Tammy was no, not available to Paul anymore, Paul needed a replacement. So on June 7th, 1991, Carla was working at a pet store. That was what she did. And she became friends with a 15-year-old girl. Why? Why is an adult becoming friends with a teenager? It's not necessary. Anyway. Sorry. We're going to call her Jane Doe. They invited the teen out on a girl's night out. Uh, She went shopping with her. They had dinner and brought her back to her house. They had drinks together. Those drinks were laced with Halcyon and Jane Doe eventually passed out. Carla called her fiance and told him that she had a surprise wedding gift for him. So they both undressed her and Paul videotaped as Carla sexually assaulted the girl before Paul also sexually assaulted the girl. In the morning, the girl woke up so nauseous, but they all just said it was because you got really drunk last night. And the girl left without being aware of what really happened that night. On June 15th, 1991, Paul came across another girl named Leslie who was 14, and she was locked out because she missed curfew and so he approached her and she asked him for a cigarette he took her to his car and blindfolded her and took her to their house he told carla they have a new quote playmate and together they on videotape sexually assaulted and tortured her paul kept saying you're doing a good job leslie you're doing a damn good job and then he said The next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect. So gross. It's garbage. Blindfold started slipping. And Paul said that Carla gave her a lethal dose of drugs. Carla said Paul strangled her. But one way or the other, she died that night. Um, They put her in the basement, dismembered her body, and put her pieces of her body into cement blocks and dumped them into a Lake Gibson. On June 29th, a father and a son who were fishing at Lake Gibson found a piece that was on the shore. She was 
identified from dental records. On April 16, 1992, prowling for victims, both of them spotted Kristen French, who was 15. This is a quote. The couple pulled into a parking lot by nearby Grace Lutheran Church, and Carla got out of the car with a map, pretending that she needed assistance. She walked up to the girl, and then Paul attacked her from behind, shoving her into the front seat. And then Carla got into the back seat when they drove off. Weston's parents knew that because she didn't show up at home on time, that there was something wrong. So within 24 hours, police were already looking for her. And it was over Easter weekend. During that weekend, they did a lot of super terrible things to her. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And they did end up murdering Christian that, that weekend before they attended Easter dinner at Carla's parents' house. On April 30th, Kristen's body was found in a ditch, naked, and all of her hair was cut off, and her body had been washed, so there was no DNA on her body. On December 22nd, 1992, Jane Doe returned with Carla, and Carla pressured her to have sex with Paul. She became upset, and she just was like, I'm out of here. You guys are fucking crazy, which is true. And this girl, more power to her. There were at least eight other potential victims of Carla and Paul's escapades. Both Carla and Paul were questioned many times about their connection with the Scarborough rapist investigation, Tammy Homolka's death, and every interview the police determined that there was no way that Paul Bernardo was involved in those two things. In December of 1992, do you remember that sample way back that Paul provided for the Scarborough rapist thing? Two years later, they finally tested Paul's DNA for the Scarborough rapist DNA. For ten years. For them like, to why? test that DNA. If he looks just like the sketch, why don't you test that one first? I digress. On December 27th, 1992, Paul beat Carla with a flashlight and Carla claimed that she was in a car accident to cover up the fact that she had bruises on her face. For her to have been beat with a flashlight and have to say that it was a car accident, bruises must have been fucking terrible. January 4th, 1993, she returned to work and her family was so concerned about her being with Paul that they removed her from Paul's house and her parents took her to the hospital where she admitted that Paul was beating her. Paul was arrested at that time and then released. On February 9th of 1993, 26 months after providing the DNA sample, two years and two months, the police were informed that the Scarborough rapist was, in fact, Paul Bernardo through DNA match. Shocker. Anyone could have told you that. In fact, two people did tell you that. You got the DNA and you still didn't test it with two people telling you that and that he looks like just, just like the composite sketch. Please. So then they decided to put him under surveillance and they interviewed Carla. Carla focused on the fact that she's been abused from Paul instead of the DNA proof. But after the police left, Carla told her aunt and her uncle that he was the Scarborough rapist and that they were responsible for the murders of Leslie and Kristen and that everything had been recorded on videotape. Carla's lawyer 
tried to get her full immunity due to her actions in the video, they couldn't grant that. She was placed on 24-hour surveillance. February 17th, Paul was arrested and a search warrant was issued. Due to the weak link in the murders, they were not able to tear the place down and they weren't able to look everywhere. They had to look wherever they could see. So, like, they could look inside, like, cabinets. They could look inside, like, on desks and in drawers. But you can't break into a wall. You can't do anything like that because there was not a strong enough link for them to have a search warrant that would allow them to do that. So they had to have no damage search the house. A no damage search lasted 71 days. And they found only one video of Carla sexually assaulting Jane Doe. Nothing else. Just the one video of Carla. Paul told his his lawyer on a prison phone line that the tapes were in the ceiling behind the light fixture and his lawyer retrieved them and hid them. But soon later, his lawyer quit and his new lawyer provided those tapes that were given to him to the police. On May 5th, Carla was offered a plea deal for 12 years of prison and she had to accept that or not in one week. She didn't have more than seven days' time to accept that. Or she would be charged with all of the crimes that she had committed and have to take all of the punishment for it. So she accepted. On May 14th, it was finalized, and she began working with police. And she said that Paul boasted about raping over 30 women, potentially even twice as many as 30 the plea deal was widely criticized because the tapes showed that she was very aware of, of everything that was happening for at least 17 months. And the court said that if they saw, if they had seen the tapes first, they would not have offered a plea deal for her. But unfortunately, they didn't see the tapes until the second lawyer provided it to them. She got the plea deal before. And so on Milo was tried on June 28th of 1993 and sentenced to only 12 years on July 6th, 1993. Yeah. February of 1994, Carla divorced Paul. Good job. During her prison stay, she continued to point blame at Bernardo. And she had so many breakdowns. And at her release... A psychiatrist said that she's very attracted to the world of sexual psychopath and that it's not for nothing that what she did with Paul. Her condition of her release was this. She was to tell the police her home address, her work address, and anybody who lives with her. She was required to notify the police as soon as any of that information changed. She was also required to notify the police if she changed her name. If she planned to be away from her home for more than 48 hours, she had to give a 72-hour notice to the police. She could not contact Paul or the families of Leslie and Kirsten or the woman who was known as Jane Doe. She was forbidden to be with anybody who was under the age of 16. Thank goodness. She was forbidden from consuming drugs. She was required to continue therapy and counseling. And she was required to provide the police with her DNA sample. And on July 4th, 1995, which was only two years later, 
she was released. Two of her 12 years she was sentenced. She was released. What? In 1995, Paul was also tried for the murders of Leslie and Kristen. On September 1st of 1995, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 15 years for the two first-degree murders and two aggravated sexual assaults. And he was listed as a dangerous offender. So in prison, he was separated, but he was still attacked and harassed for years after he had arrived in prison. This is a quote from an article. In 2006, Bernardo gave a prison interview in which he claimed that he had been reformed and that he would make a good parole candidate. He became eligible to petition for a jury for early parole in 2008 under the Faint Hope Clause because he committed multiple murders before the 1997 Criminal Code Amendment. He did not apply for parole at that time. In November of 2015, Bernardo self-published A Mad World Order, which is, quote, a violent, fictional, 631-page ebook on Amazon from prison. How? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the, the logistics of that. But because it was Paul Bernardo and it was a violent, mad world order, I didn't read it, obviously, but it was like, it would be something along the lines of, this is how the world should be, and this is how the men should be, and this is how the women should be, and that's what it's, which from Paul Bernardo's brain, none of that should be out. Anyway, it was removed off of Amazon. Thank the good Lord. Bernardo became eligible for parole in February of 2018. October 17th, the Parole Board of Canada denied any sort of parole. And on June 22nd of 2021, the judge deliberated only one hour before denying him again. Supposedly, this is a, I'm not sure how accurate this one little Last fact is that Saul scored a, a 35 out of 40 on the psychopath test, um, which is a psychological tool that's used to assess if people are psychopaths, right? So he supposedly scored 35 out of 40, and Carla scored 5 out of 40. In prison, he was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, which fucking obviously. Anyway, he's still alive and he's still in prison. And I'm pretty sure he's going to stay there for the rest of his fucking life. Yeah, he better. But Carla is out and about, living life. I, uh... And that's the story of the Ken and Barbie killers. And that's why I was mentioning that this was not a Barbie movie sponsor or whatever. I was reading on her. She remarried. They have three kids. I can't like, even fucking imagine marrying her or what? Like which one of the one, things? <laughs> one marrying her, and then two. She has three kids, two boys and a daughter. So that just makes me sick. Yeah. So there are, and I here's okay. When it comes to Carla, there's like this this conversation to be had of how much of the story that we have is truly that Carla did X, Y, and Z, or was she being manipulated by Paul, who was a narcissist? I think that he, 
how could she have lived with herself after her sister, this whole sister thing, which was like the first big thing, right? How could she have lived with herself if she wasn't somewhat okay with it or involved? I don't know from a domestic violence or a domestic abuse standpoint. I don't, I think Paul probably did abuse her in a lot of ways, but I think she knew very damn well what she was doing, especially with the fact that the police said that they would not have offered her a plea deal if they had seen the, if they had seen the videos, because the videos show that she was very much involved, billing participant in the uh, things. I don't know. There, there is something to say that some people go on that Carla might have also just been a victim herself, but I can't imagine that it happens that many times and you're cool with it up until the fact that DNA starts coming out that it's true. And then you're starting to backtrack. You know what I mean? Yeah. The videotapes themselves show she's not solely a victim in that in those circumstances. I okay. I just think she deserved more than two years. fucking years. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely did. I think she should have at least had to se- serve out her 12 years. At, at the least, if that's all they could have gotten her for, that's all they could have gotten her for, right? But the least they could do is make her serve the whole time. But- no, it's just make, it just makes me mad because people are in prison for longer, for less. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> she worked with the police to try to get Paul. That's... So what it was, I don't, I don't understand the police activity in this case though, because of the fact that simply they already had DNA evidence. Why did they need Carla? Why did they need Carla to work with them? They had the DNA evidence that he was a Scarborough rapist. So is it because they took so long to fucking test it? Is it because Um, they decided, oh, he's a good white boy that he's fine? Maybe, I think maybe one, they waited, maybe they waited too long for one. I don't know if it's different jurisdictions or what. I don't don't know about Canada. Maybe Canada's different. But I'm like, yeah, if they had the evidence that he was the rapist and they could be like, oh, okay, they could arrest him for that. But maybe he wouldn't have gone to jail for as long. I don't know if they would automatically connect the murders to him, especially since videotapes were taken or hidden. So when they found out that he was the Scarborough rapist, he wasn't. He was put on 24-hour surveillance. So he knew ahead of time because of Carla, because of like the, like he understood that he was in deep shit. So I think he had too much time with the evidence to be able to hide it. And because they couldn't do any kind of damage when they did their search, they passed right by it. They were literally in that house for 71 days and they couldn't find the fucking tapes. Like why didn't they just, I'm like, they should have just arrested him. That's what I'm saying. And again, maybe it's, and again, I'm sorry, Canadian listeners. I know there are a few of you. I'm sorry if I'm like being fucking dumb American here, but I don't understand why it would take them so long to either, to one test, to arrest. I just don't get it. I don't understand. If he was able to, if they had listened to the two people, the two women who told them that Paul Bernardo was the, the Scarborough rapist because the sketch and the fact that his buddy's wife was uncomfortable around him. They decided to listen to 
this man who is obviously looks like the sketch that they talked to for 35 minutes instead of two women who knew the man. Yeah. One of them is a bank teller, so they only knew him. But one woman who did know the man whose husband is friends with him or was friends with him in college. I don't understand. I don't understand how they didn't, how they just deemed it like he's a good boy. He's fine. Whatevs. Yeah. I'm astonished. I understand that they probably got a lot of tips and a lot of, they did take a lot of DNA samples because of the sketch, but there had to be a faster way to process that than two fucking years. Yeah. I don't know why they, I don't know if they just were like, oh, he's a good guy. We'll just mark him off the list or put him on the low list. I don't know. But they said that there was a quote after they collected his DNA that said that the detectives concluded that such a well-educated, adjusted young man could not be responsible for such vicious crimes. Which means Paul Bernardo played them too. Just like he played fucking everybody else in his life. I was like, rule number one, usually serial killers are smart and manipulative. And they can manipulate. I mean, there are so many stories of serial killers and bad people who are able to manipulate cops. I don't know if these cops think that they're like, better than everyone else and they can't be manipulated or what they sure as fuck show that they can be like they're not any better than some girl who might get manipulated too i don't know it's just fucked up it is fucked up i'm just saying if they could have done anything sooner cammy would probably be alive leslie and Kristen would definitely be alive those things never would have happened that's a sad reality unfortunately anyway that's why this case is so difficult is that there's no fucking reason for him to have been out and about out for that long he was tried for the murders in 1995 and he was he got the dna taken on my birthday 1990 yeah literally when you were born the day i was born that man got his dna taken and it took him till i was five fucking years old for him to be tried for anything i don't understand how he was only put away for the the murders of Leslie and Kristen, if they had the DNA proof that he attacked all of the 10 other women from Scarborough. Yeah. He was only tried for the murders of the two girls that Marla and him killed. Was it because it was so long after? I don't understand. I don't know. Anyway, he's unlikely to ever get parole, though, because of the fact that he's listed as a dangerous offender. So there's that. Yeah, he's been in like three different prisons. I think the reason that this case is so triggering to me is because it pisses me off. I think that's why I get so triggered by it, is that there's no fucking reason that he should have been out for that much longer, for five more years. There's just no reason. Exactly. I don't know. Anyway, the moral of the story is that police can't do fucking shit. The other thing is, okay, here's the other thing. I don't know if it's more likely for someone to report a sexual assault or a rape in Canada. But from the numbers that I know personally about people who actually report sexual assaults and rapes, there was at least 10 women who did report the Scarborough rapists raping them, right? Mm-hmm. How many do you think didn't? Who were potentially hurt? 1987 to 1991. Oh, I'm sure the numbers that you know... With the numbers you know and the women that you know have gotten sexually assaulted and they never said anything, there's a likelihood that there's way more than the people 
that came forward back when he was the Scarborough rapist. That's also very frustrating. I know. Which is not, which because, again, I just, I don't fucking understand why he wasn't tried for the Scarborough rapes. Yeah. Because I bet you, I'm surprised, I don't know, maybe they didn't see him or whatever, but I'm surprised like more didn't come forward. Because that's usually what happens is if they get tried for a certain, so if they did try him for like the rape and sexual assault, guarantee you like hundreds of more women would come out. Yes. Like he was guarantee. really so much of a sexual deviant as he was. There's no fucking way that he truly went months and months without attacking someone. There are sometimes there are like big chunks of missing time. So there's like from May 30th to October 4th. And that's a big chunk of time. Nobody reported anything. But you sure shit know that man did not go without doing something fucking disgusting. Yeah. And the other one is like December 31st, uh, April 18th. Tell me that you think that that man didn't do something for those four months. Please. I'm just saying. And some of these attacks are days after each other. Right after yeah. each other. The 4th, May 4th and the 14th. I'm telling you that maybe he like threatened them and said, don't fucking tell anybody or else I'll fucking come back and kill you and your family. I don't know what he did, but I'm telling you that this, the victims that were on that list are not his only victims. I promise. If there was any way that he was tried for the sexual assaults or the attempted rapes or the rapes of these women, then more would come forward for sure. Anyway, now that I'm heated, that's the story of the Ken and Barbie killers. I hate calling them the Ken and Barbie killers too. So that's another reason why I hate this crime is like they called Paul and Carla Ken and Barbie because they're like long hair, blue eyed. Yes, they're like, they were. And back then, they were like top-notch swap people. I don't know. And so everyone looked at them and they were like, wow, they look like Ken and Barbie together. And that's why they got the name, the Ken and Barbie killers. It just makes me so mad. So there's that's why I'm heated. I know. Feel it back, Catherine. We're fine. <laughs> there's no danger right now. I'm like all tensed up because like when you have anxiety, it's because your body senses danger, but there's no danger, right? I'm all tensed up because of being know, honestly, angry. Honestly, anyway, on a a better note than this, Haley, next week is horror movie week. Do you have any idea of what you might want to do? Just so we can maybe no. tease something to the spooks. I just called the spooky as the spooks. That was cute. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Sorry. So we've been doing some like newer movies recently, right? We could go to like back to old favorites if you wanted to, like we were doing before. We sometimes we could go into new movies and then to older movies, to new movies to older movies. Yeah, I've been on the saw kick, girl. Okay, but here's we my can't watch all ten. We can't until next month. But my whole thing is, if I want to do saw, I want to do the entire franchise, Holy and that shit. sounds like a lot. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. We obviously, if we did like a series like that, like a soft franchise, right? We would have to watch the movies on our own. Yes. Because I don't think we'd have time to like each sit down and watch nine Absolutely movies, not. right? And I don't think that you... Two hours long. Right. I do think that we could do it if we don't go through the synopsis of every single one. Like deep dive synopsis. If you just do a short, this is what Saw 1 was about. This was all the fun facts about Saw 1. It would be the same as like when we did the True Crime 101. 
where I just did like the super high level and we could talk about each one more so like in in from what we thought of the movie. Then we could rank them at the end. Yeah. Fun. But that would have to be like a project that we do and we'd probably have to do it like with two months in advance notice or three months in advance notice just so we have time and we don't feel rushed to watch all the slot movies. Yes. You know what, Spooky Babes? It'll be up in the air on what we're going to do for the podcast next week. Heck, you dude, never know. Surprise. Anyway, do you have anything to tell the Spooky Babes before we let them go? Spooky Babes, thanks for joining us today. If you've sat through this whole thing, we're sorry. But hopefully our little banter can lighten the mood just a little bit, respectfully. But join us next week for me and horror movies. And hey, also horror movies. Well, the next three weeks are going to be chilling, straight chilling. Chilling. Because everything's fictional for the most part that we talk about. <laughs> True. Spooky week. I hope you have a good day. A good week, good month, good year, whatever. A good few hours. I don't know. We'll take what we can get. And we love you. And we'll see you next week. And back to Catherine with the emotional. Emotional? Inspiring. Spooky babes. I know that you understand us. I know that you get us on a cellular level. You understand our brains. Because you guys, you're just like us. You may not want to admit it. But you're just like us. Anyway, we appreciate you so much. We are so happy that you came and spent some time with us. And the world is a better place with you in it. You matter. And please keep finding reasons to stay around. Because we love you and we want you to be here. And we will see you in your nightmares.